11.04 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, both our distant early warning line and ballistics early warning line reported radar evidence of unidentified flying objects flying due southeast. As of this moment, we have been unable to determine the nature of these objects, but for the time being, in the interest of national safety, we are declaring a state of yellow alert. The Civil Defense Authorities request that if you have a shelter already prepared, go there at once. Come on, we're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I'm Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I really hope that you guys um, were okay with our mass suggestion that there was a podcast last week because there wasn't. That was a surprise. You may have heard yeah. an hour's worth of discussion, but it wasn't really there. Yep. But we exist. We're here. Yeah. <laughs> that discussion may or may not be real. It's but true. We're here. That podcast, it crashed over the ocean and there was no, no remnants found. That's what happened. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I stuck my hand into the internet and it all disappeared. Uh, whatever. Anyway, that's enough enough talking about uh, the arrival. Uh, this week we have The Shelter, Season 3, Episode 3. Uh, air date, September 29th, 1961. Number one film was Paris Blues. Boring name, didn't bother looking up what it was about. That sounds kind of bad. It's probably a wonderful, fine <laughs> film. It just That seems like the name of a film that you'd see on a poster in another film. You know, like just Paris Blues. Um Number one song is Take Good Care of My Baby by Bobby V. Uh, so so with this air date, I didn't find anything for the 29th, but the day before, the word ain't was accepted into the English language with the publication of the third edition of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the first completely new edition since 1944. Um, Miriam, um, whatever, President Gordon J. Oland, whatever his word is for his name, had announced the controversial decision on September 6th uh, noting that ain't was one of the thousands of new words that had been added. So there was some controversy with the dictionary and the word ain't. Yeah. Now we get words like mansplain and selfie <laughs> and uh, whelp and stuff like that. And uh, what was it? <laughs> On fleek. And uh, yes. what else? Yeah. And, and, and dogs are not dogs anymore. They're doggos and younger dogs are puppers, you know, and they bork and they, and they heckin. You know, so who knows? Like the English language is collapsing as we go around and, and keep talking, right? So it all started with ain't. <laughs> yes. So I, I feel like I feel like ain't is still a contraction of some sort. So it's like, yeah, all right. Like, but what does ain't like ain't is it um what does it really it's, stand uh, for? Like, I am not is not like I don't know like because most contractions yeah, I guess maybe it isn't a contraction. I mean, but 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 it's it's a contraction because there's an apostrophe, right? It's a i n apostrophe t, so it's a contraction of something. I don't oh, know. Am not. Am not. So, yeah. uh, but that's uh, that's weird. I mean, granted, I probably use the word ain't all the time. Okay, so. 
Yeah. It's a contraction for am not, is not, are not, has not, and have not. <laughs> well, so okay. So it can be any of those things. That's fair. There was a video I saw recently that uh, talked about like another 10 to 11 letters in the English language that aren't used anymore, like the actual alphabet. And um, that seems like there was a lot of these letters that were used like the, like when you see the word uh, ye, like ye, like ye old tavern, that was yeah. actually like a, supposed to stand for the, it was just the way that that, that Y shape was spelled. So we misconstrued that that was talking about old time things, but it was actually the, and over time, these letters kind of there, they became kind of redundant. So they got kind of removed. So I can see how ain't is kind of like the evolution of taking the place of like several different ideas. It's yeah. still a weird word though, but Whatever. Well, yeah. I'm going to refer to this epi- episode as Ye Old Shelter. Ye Old Shelter, so. yes. Um, I like it. So, yeah. And then also the day after this episode aired, Eric Stoltz was born. So the first Marty McFly was born in 61. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> also, yeah, there, the son of the fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And always there's a ton of Cold War stuff uh, going on during this time. And uh, I just bring it up because this episode is heavily... Uh, taking from the Cold War at this time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very. Uh, this episode is based in current events of the time, pretty heavily. So, uh, yeah. But I feel like there's Cold War stuff going on every episode we do this, so we usually <laughs> don't bring them up. <laughs> well, it's hard. It's but, either it's yeah. either space or Cold War. Yeah. It's, and uh, we're getting a space force apparently now, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> one of my one of my friends is like, we don't need a space force. We need a mega force. And he posted the clip of um, oh Brad from Rocky Horror, what's his name, uh, flying in that that uh, that flying motorcycle in Megaforce. I'm like, that's perfect. Uh, Barry Bostwick yes. with uh, his wonderful <laughs> Bee Gees hair, and I'm like, yeah, we need a Megaforce, not a Space Force. So I would agree with that. I'm I would join the Space Force. I just want the patch. You know, like I, I feel like the patch is going to be amazing. <laughs> well, actually, in NASA, there's actually someone who is assigned as a galactic uh, defender or guardian. Like their whole thing is to watch for like to be aware of what's constantly going on in the space around the earth. Like there's someone at NASA that actually has like the official job of being like the defender of the earth. And it's in like, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I was reading about it. It's like, it's one job and it's not something that's handed like, you know, from person to person, like someone has this post for a long time and then they pick a successor and it's like, they have like, they are the one lone NASA person that, is watching all things around the air, like the earth to make sure that we're okay. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that you need more people than that, but whatever NASA has it figured out. So there actually is, we have, there's a paid government employee that is a guardian of our galaxy. So think about that. That, how do you sleep at night? Like that is, <laughs> that is so much weight on your shoulder to be the yeah. defender of earth. Like, like every that's... near miss of an asteroid, you have to just, you, you should just tweet out. You're welcome. Like, you know, like, yeah. like <laughs> Oh, I can only imagine everyone just like uh, speaking of selfies, posting selfies on Instagram and stuff. And you're like, man, there's a chance that uh, we're all going to die. I'm going to have to announce this. Oh, my God. Like everyone going about their business. It's all on you to defend the earth. (laughs) Because you're right. You'd have so much access to all the things that go wrong. Everything (laughs) happening and everything hurling its way towards earth. And you just have to watch. You just have to watch Kanye West on the news talking about current events. And you're like, nothing matters. We're all going to be blasted apart by asteroids one day. And none of this. Ma- <laughs> this, this is going to a weird place. It does. Um, it, I, but it's, yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. Um. 
<laughs> that's awesome though uh again i want the uh i want the polo that comes along with having that job uh yes <laughs> so we'll jump into cast and crew here we have uh lamont johnson is the director of this episode he uh He's going to be somebody we're going to talk about quite a bit this season. He ended up directing seven other episodes of future Twilight Zone episodes that we'll talk about. And I think at least five or six of them fall. I think six of them fall within the season three. So he's somebody that we're going to talk about quite a bit. Uh, Unfortunately, I wasn't really familiar with anything outside of his work with Twilight Zone. But I found a film uh, kind of ties into our conversation here called Space Hunter Adventure in the Forbidden Zone from 1983. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. And the cast is Peter Strauss, Molly Ringwald, Ernie Hudson, and Michael Ironside. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, that's well, it's incredible. Actually, now you say can that. that, that can that, that just be our Space Force? Can we just send those four actors up into space? I, would, I mean, Ernie Hudson can protect the universe. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. Actually, now that you say that, I was looking up uh, – I was looking up Star Wars knockoffs for uh, other reasons, and that was one of the, the movies listed, and I had never heard of it before. But then that's, uh, but then I found message message from space and watched that instead. But you're right, I I, I heard about yeah. that in passing. That is a bizarre. It was chasing Star Wars, and I still kind of want to watch it. That sounds amazing. Well, Michael Ironside is enough to sell me on it because yes. I love that guy, and uh, he should have been in Star Wars. He so, would have been amazing. He would have been amazing. Um, so, uh, yeah, two things. One, I looked up the actual title of that person. They're called the Planetary Protection Officer, number one. That, so <laughs> there right. you go. Yeah, that's not, cool that's not nearly as cool. Not, 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 but still, come on. Like, 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 you know, hey, what's your job, Planetary Protection Officer? That's still pretty cool, and it sounds like it gets a patch. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I, anyway. I'll take the patch. So Lamont Johnson actually directed a film in 1972 called the ground star conspiracy that douglas hayes wrote the screenplay for oh it i i think i clicked on that is that a western no it's a, a government conspiracy film and the poster art is amazing uh and the and the um the tagline or not tagline the byline is a government investigator tries to find out the truth behind the break-in at a top secret research facility um it's starring george Papard and this feels like it's falling into like telephone area of like, why have we never heard of this? It has good pedigree, probably not that great of a film, but now that I know it exists and it's written by Douglas Hayes, I kind of want to seek this out because the, the poster is actually pretty cool too. Like I said, yeah, make sure you write that down. Cause uh, if we take a break midway through the season, maybe we'll cover that. I just like that. We're going to get this niche of like seventies government conspiracy films that, that no one remembers. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, probably for good reason. Too, <laughs> yeah, as, as much as we love throwing around Douglas Hayes as our MVP of uh, the show, we probably should cover something else outside of his Twilight Zone work. Yeah. Uh, so this episode was written by Rod Serling, and we'll get into. I have some of the genesis of his ideas for mm-hmm. this episode in my notes, so I'm sure we'll kind of get into that later when we get into the actual plot. Uh, we'll jump into this cast. It's it's pretty big, but I, I feel like there's not too much to talk about with most of these people, so we'll blow through them pretty quick. Yeah. First and foremost, we have Larry Gates as Dr. Bill Stockton. This was his only Twilight Zone episode. He was also in the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 56 version, um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and uh, I wrote down Airport for some reason. Although, I, I feel like we've seen 100 actors that have been in Airport, but for some reason I wrote it down this time. So he was best known for a recurring role in Guiding Light. Uh, so I guess that was his biggest like biggest claim to fame. And he was also in Leonard Part 6. Just want to throw that out there. 
There you go. So Larry <laughs> Gates, Leonard Part Six. Yeah, um, I'm sure that film's aged well. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I I was starting to take my uh, cast notes in order of by what family they were in the uh, oh good luck. in the actual episode. Yeah, uh, but I gave up on that quickly. So if if I'm kind of going out of order of importance of the story, that'll explain it. Yeah. So next up, I got Peggy Stewart who plays Grace Stockton. Um, she was a, this was her only Twilight Zone episode, and uh, she was in a bunch of stuff, but she is still alive today, and uh, she has had two episodes of The Office she's been in. Yeah, she was Pam That's... Beasley's grandmother, Meemaw, on The Office, and ah. she was also in an episode of Community, so I thought that was I, worthy of oh, bringing up. Community, yeah. but yeah, I thought it was cool. She was still uh, still going to this day, and I've been watching like nothing but Office reruns on Comedy Central right now, so I was excited to see that pop up. <laughs> Um, so next up we have Michael Burns as Paul Stockton, uh, not really too much for him, child actor of the time. And, uh, this was his only twilight zone. <laughs> so I wrote my notes and, and forgive me. I wrote these a couple weeks ago because I was trying to prepare in advance because, you know, when the summer happens in Cleveland, a lot of things happen on the weekend. So I've been trying to, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and all I wrote in my notes here was check out his IMBD, IMBD.com photo. Um, I'm going to leave that to you to figure out what I mean by that. Cause I, I forget what his photo was, but it must've been amazing for me to tell you, to check out his IMDB uh, photo. Yeah, I don't know. It's just him with uh, shaggy long hair. But he's, no, isn't he like partially nude? Isn't that the whole thing is like, he's uh, like now he's wearing naked. a jacket. Oh, maybe Stand in front of a uh, bar that I don't know what photo I looked at. <laughs> 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 no, no, that's not what it Oh, uh, let me look this up real quick. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, here. The, okay. Yep, I found it. Um, it's a picture from that cold day in the park from 1969. Is him uh, nude with a blanket covering himself. Yeah, that's the photo I saw. Maybe I don't know what's wrong with my uh, IMDb, but, you know, that's what I saw first. <laughs> um, yeah, the one that's up there is just him in a jacket <laughs> standing in front of a bar. I'm like, yeah, it's a yep. nice picture. But then the next one, there's definitely one of him with that blanket covering up a... Uh, you know, his, his Michael Burns. Yeah. It's weird. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. that's all I don't had. Our, it was a weird photo. Don't want our, uh, retinas to get Michael burned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll move on from, uh, poor Michael Burns right now. We have Joseph Bernard who plays Marty Weiss. And, uh, again, not too much on him, but his only twilight zone appearance. He was in warlock, the Armageddon. Just want to also mention that. Cause anytime there's a warlock connection, you got to bring it up. <laughs> I must've missed that one. I don't know how that happened. Um, we got a big one, though. Next, we have Jack Albertson, mm -hmm. who plays Jerry Harlow. Uh, most people would know him as the grandpa from Willy Wonka. Yeah, like it, that one. Like I watched this episode and didn't put two and two together. But then when I went back no. and read about it, like you, you, it's easy to see him through that. But it's not something I would have picked up on the first time. No, and I had just brought up over the weekend um, the grandpa from Willy Wonka because I swore I saw him walking down the flats here in Cleveland. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> so I was I was shocked that I didn't catch it because it's like the first time in 10 years that that guy has probably popped into my head. Um, but, yeah, he was also in the Poseidon Adventure, which I'm a pretty big fan of. He did some voice work for Fox and the Hound. Yeah, uh, he was the eighth performer to uh, Triple Crown, which is the Oscar Emmy and Tony Awards. Oh, OK. Uh, so that's that's pretty important, right? Well, the whole uh, they talk about the EGOT now, which is the Emmy, Golden Globe, Oscar, and Tony. So, like, yeah, yeah. At the time, I don't think there was Golden Globe, so yeah. you had to, they called it the Triple Crown, apparently. Um, 
And then he was in one other episode of the Twilight Zone, so we'll talk about him in the future. Uh, episode called I Dream of Genie, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all I got was, uh, was Grandpa Joe. Like, he was the one guy of the four old people that were all lying in that bed together. And somehow he was in that bed for years, but he was perfectly okay to get up and walk around. So I think he was lying about how long he was in that bed. Yeah. <laughs> It didn't he do a dance right out of the bed too? I think so. Yeah, not mistake. So yeah, that, that's hard. I can't even do that in the morning. <laughs> uh, so next up, we have Sandy Kenyon as Frank Henderson, who we talked about previously on Odyssey of Flight Thirty Three. Uh, he played Navigator Hatch. Yeah, so, and uh, I didn't realize this. I don't know if we mentioned this during the episode, but he was the first John Arbuckle, uh, like the voice of John Arbuckle in the Garfield cartoons. Oh, nice. I love some classic Garfield. And That's I awesome. also want to mention that like one of his credits was 1979's the third Barry Manilow special. Like I like that that's actually the credit in the show is called the third Barry Manilow special. Like he wasn't he wasn't good enough to be in the first and second, but he was good enough to be in the third one. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so we got a couple more. Bear with us. We have Joe Helton uh, who plays Mar- Martha Harlow. Um, one other Twilight Zone episode, so we'll talk about her in the future. We have Gloria Turner, who plays Mrs. Weiss. Uh, her only Twilight Zone appearance. Not too much to her credits. We have Mary Gregory, who we t- uh, who plays Mrs. Henderson, who we've talked about recently in Lateness of the Hour, mm-hmm. plays Nelda. And uh, she is also in Monsters of Due on Maple Street, which I'm sure will come up in the conversation tonight. Yeah, uh, Played a character of Sally, which I don't know if we actually talked about her on that one. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of people that were just on the street. Yeah, but, that's yeah. that's what I kind of figured. But I know we talked about Nelda, um, so definitely go back to the lateness of the hour if you want to hear us talk about Mary Gregory. And then lastly, I have John McLeam, who plays Man. Uh, and I, I wasn't even able to write it down, but he was in three other future episodes of The Twilight Zone, and he was in First Blood. So and, yeah, that's and, pretty awesome. And Cool Hand Luke. I, I was just like, yes. wow, yeah. for someone who's just here as labeled as Man, he's in some pretty cool movies. Yeah, the just I mean, if you only did those two movies in your career, I would be impressed. Yeah, like, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so good luck. Yeah. Good luck going forward here <laughs> describing who's in what family, because I won't know. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the wives, honestly, uh, are put into the background most of this episode outside of uh, outside of Grace, the uh, Bill's wife. So. Um, I don't think we'll be we'll be talking about the families overall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of people yelling, and we'll get to that. So so yeah, that's your cast. Um, let's just uh, let's just get the Serling. What you're about to watch is a nightmare. It is not meant to be prophetic. It need not happen. It's the fervent and urgent prayer of all men of goodwill that it never shall happen. But in this place, in this moment, it does happen. This is the Twilight Zone. Like that's the anti-Serling intro. Like we've kind of gotten to the point where he uh, he front sells a lot of the story, and this one's just more like it's a nightmare. Deal with it, and I like yeah. it. I mean, it's, it's good because like front selling this would have would have um, taken away some of. Uh, even though it's on the nose, and we'll get to more of it later, I think it would have uh, taken away some of the impact. Yeah, I, I think he knew he had a good idea that kind of spoke for itself. So yeah. there wasn't much else that he could say that wasn't being said in the in the teleplay. And uh, the closing narration is also pretty short and sweet um, and probably my favorite closing narration of the series so far. So we'll talk about that when we get there, though. 
Yeah. So yeah, this this starts off with it's a birthday party. Like you're at the the you find out that you're at the. The yeah, you're on, house. you're on the set of uh, Monsters to Do on Maple Street. Yeah, you're on Maple Street. <laughs> you're at the house of Dr. Bill Stockton. And it's actually, uh, I like how the episode kind of brings in because the conversation around, like there's, you know, multiple people at this table. They're all having a good time. It actually felt very natural, which is unusual for what, not, not the Twilight Zone, but I just feel like for TV of the time, like it felt like an actual nice, easy conversation, like, like an actual party at a house. And, um, and it's a good setup because it's like these people all seem very, you know, like friendly and amicable and you get the sense that they all know each other and they're kind of gently ribbing each other and you, you figure out that they're all here and to celebrate the doctor's birthday. And it's just, it's a nice warm opening. Yeah. Except everyone's kind of laughing at things that really aren't that funny. That's the only thing I'm going to well, complain about. That's, I mean, <laughs> but I'm going to blame it on the alcohol. I'm going to blame um, it on yeah. like, that's what happens when you party with your neighbors, like not necessarily your friends, but your neighbors, you just try to find that common ground. You're like, ha ha ha. Yeah, that's great. And, and now there's alcohol. Like you said. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we get Jerry, uh, Jerry's the one giving the toast and, uh, he's just, you know, talking about, uh, how much that bill has helped them out being the doctor in the neighborhood and everything. And although he's been building this bomb shelter that he's been hammering away and having trucks, uh, cement trucks and everything coming that's kept him awake, that he's, a, he's a really good guy and they're all happy to know him and everything. So it, like you said, it's, everyone seems very friendly. Uh, it, it seems very natural. Uh, but then there's a shift in this episode. Um, the, the kid comes running in. He says the picture went on the, on the TV and they were supposed to turn on the radio to the con red station. So they turned on the station and there's a alert that there are some, uh, unidentified flying objects flying towards, uh, some major cities in the U S and, um, that shift in tone. Um, maybe it's just because, uh, like, in my life, you know, the only time we've ever had a major attack on us soil was nine 11, but, you know, you always think of when these disasters and everything happens. It's just such a normal day, and that shift is something that's really terrifying. Well, it, you know, you start yeah. your day and it, you never know what's going to happen. And I think it's a very realistic change of tone in this episode. Yeah, you, it really the, got under my skin. That's a good good point. I just I want to visit that for a second. Um, so do you 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 remember where you were when you heard about like you heard the radio or the TV? Yeah. With, okay. Yeah. So where where were you when that was going on? Because I know I remember exactly where I was. Yeah. And, and it was well yeah. again a little bit younger. Uh, I was in middle school and I was in science class. And they came over the announcements and said there was an attack. And the teacher wheeled the TV in and we watched news for the, oh. like for much the rest of the day. Did you? And then I went home and watched more <laughs> news with my parents. You know, it was just like. But uh. yeah, I, I just I remember the announcement and everything too. It was. It was chilling, you know. Did, did they have uh, but the TV it just on? Happened so quick because you're sitting there, you know, you're just sitting in science class, joking with your friends and everything, you know, passing notes, whatever. And then all of a sudden, uh, the world's changed. So it's just like, it, you know, it, it's one of those things that's always in the back of your mind. It's just like how fragile everything can really be. So seeing that tone shift in this is just 
it, it still works to this day. Yeah, I mean, and just to, to mention, I was uh, on my porch uh, where I was living at the time, uh, reading the Talisman because you know Stephen King. That's what you got to do. Very and then, nice, yeah. then I was Peter, getting, I was getting Peter picked, Straub, right? Yeah, uh, I was getting picked up by my uh, by my boss to go to work. And as I got into his van, he was like, he's like, yeah, a plane hit the Pentagon. We're like, what? And we just listened to the radio all the way into work, and it was like the surreal, like it was a gorgeous day, gorgeous like September day, obviously September in Cleveland and it was just like it none of it none of it added up so you're right it's that whole like especially in this episode because the radio fires off and they're listening to it I can relate to the whole like you're just staring at it's a radio it doesn't do anything other than emit sound but you stare at it like it's going to give you something else and the way it's going to give you some sort of answer or instructions you know outside of just like uh just hide (laughs) you know well and then it it was a good shot with with the doctor in the foreground listening to the radio and then how the conversation kind of slowly stopped and you saw the realization on all the party goes goers faces of like oh this is serious and then they all kind of funneled out quickly it was very for for a series that is usually quick to come with the music and kind of drown out the mood this kind of lingered and it was very effective yeah, yeah, I was I was a huge fan of this from the get go when we started here. Um, so yeah, all the neighbors start running out of the house one by one. You hear the sound of uh, like a jet in the distance or something. You don't quite know what it is at this time, but given given the time of the show, you assume that it's bombers or something mm-hmm. that's about to happen. Um, but yeah, they're in the house and they're starting to lose power. The water pressure is going low and everything, and you, the tension just gets really high in the house. The wife's starting to freak out. Everyone, everyone's just uh, yelling at each other about things that don't really matter. She's dropping water. Um, and uh, the, the husband with such a ridiculous line <laughs> tells her to pretend it's a uh, hundred dollar perfume every time she drops it. And it's like, Oh, thanks man. <laughs> yeah. That's a very, uh, that's a very 60 statement. And I'm just like, really? Yeah. That's where we went with yeah. that. But yeah. then, uh, the sun. But you can just tell everyone's nerves are shot. You know, that's that's basically what you're getting out of the scene. Yeah, and like the sun's trying to help, and he's like, "What should we do next?" And like they have this whole discussion. I remember there's the the line, "We'll need books and things." Of course, you'll need books and and whatever things are. And so they're kind of still going through the house trying to figure out like what to bring with them. And uh, it's it's very like as much as 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 he is prepared for this, you're still not ready. You know, yeah, and, and it's, never ready. yeah, it, it's, uh, effective. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the wife's filling up water. She's filling up as many jugs as she can to take down into the shelter. Um, but it, they're trying to figure out how long it's going to take. And, uh, Bill's saying that, you know, the radio said anywhere from 15, to 30 minutes, but you know, nobody really knows, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the wife, they finally go down to the shelter and, she she finally just like collapses and she's she's stressed out about it and it, you find out that they're like forty minutes from New York City so they know if there's going to be attack like as far as major city goes like they're gonna get it and yeah. um she she kind of gives up and she's like you know why is it so necessary that we survive like what's the point if we have to go out after like what kind of world are we entering if it's just gonna be rubble our dead neighbors or friends you know. Like there's not going to be anything for us. Why? Why do we even care if we survive and everything? Wouldn't it just be quicker to get it over with? And uh, right at that moment, I love this transition. The kid yells down, 
saying like asking if he can get anything else or something like that. And I was hoping they would just leave it at that without having to have the next little yeah. bit of dialogue. Um, cause it, just by their faces, that was enough for me to understand. Yeah. Like, that's why we need to keep going. But of course they had to throw a little <laughs> bit of dialogue. Um, probably the one downfall of this episode is just, uh, over explaining everyone's feelings. <laughs> yeah. Um, he says, uh, grace, that's why we survive. He may inherit, inherit the rubble, but he's only 12 years old. Uh, and I included, he hasn't had a chance to wear long pants yet. So there's opportunities <laughs> here. Um, and I also want to ask you, they were stocking water. How much night milk do you think they saved up for this event? I think uh, they needed to save up plenty of night milk. Yeah, I mean, how long is that night milk going to be good for, though? <laughs> but you got You can't not not have night milk in your shelter. I think, especially if you're on Maple Street. So that was, but, but yeah, the whole thing is like, yeah, you're right. Like he was saying, he was saying to her, "We have to survive for him, regardless of long pants and night milk." But I wanted to make sure that people were aware that those are two things that have to happen. So that that would be another parallel between this and monsters <laughs> to do on Maple Street. Um, hey, when we do the live show, can we drink nothing but milk? As we record, <laughs> I, I don't know how well that'll do for our voices because I feel like we make it a bit flimmy. Um, oh, it's all right. What if we, I, what I if feel we drink? Like, uh, loyal listeners would appreciate the joke. What if we drink like a uh, milk stout or something? Do you think that might be better appropriate, like a night milk stout? Yeah, I think there. Is, I, I think it's a seasonal that a lesion does. It's called like <laughs> night, night owl. It's close enough. <laughs> oh, that's a letter writing campaign, dear Elysian. Could you please make a night milk stout? Anyway, please. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I, I think Bill runs back upstairs and he's like, I'm going to go see what other, what else I can get. I'm going to get a little bit more water. And at that time he goes up there, Jerry, the guy giving the speech at the beginning is knocking on the window and uh, he's asking him about the water and everything. But the real reason he came over is he's basically saying like, Hey, you know, we don't have a basement. We don't have, we don't really have anywhere to go. That's going to be safe. Mm -hmm. Like, can we come into your bomb shelter? And he's like, Bill says no, because it's designed for three people and they're going to run out of air if they let anyone else in. So it, he can't put his family at risk and everything. So um, basically tells him, like, you know, nobody in nobody in the neighborhood wanted to listen to me when I was building this bomb shelter. No one took my advice. And now we're here and you should have built a shelter and too bad. <laughs> yeah, which is which is pretty harsh. But like. It's one of those things um, I, I kind of teased. So Serling at this time, I, I don't know if you listen. I found a radio broadcast with uh, an interview with Serling. It's about three and a half minutes. Um, did you happen to find this? thing? Is this the one with Bob Crane that asks him about the episode? Because I have some of that written yes. down. Yeah. 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 Um, so at this time, him and his wife were talking about uh, purchasing a bomb shelter and having one built on their property. And, um, during their discussion, they actually came up with the idea for this episode. They're like, you know, what if we built this um, and it, it fit us, but we couldn't fit anyone else. And the neighbors were coming over trying to get in. Like, what what would we do? And Serling really couldn't decide what side of the fence he would land on, whether or not it was right or wrong to not let people into the shelter to save their family. Um, but because of that question, they ended up not building one. So I, th I thought it was interesting. This was just something that him and his wife were throwing around. And uh, it, it was such a topical conversation at the time that it, I thought it was interesting that it made its way into this episode. Well, that and, the, and when you think about it, honestly, there's not a single note of sci-fi in this episode. 
It is no, so no. It, it's and, so close to the you know to the reality of what you were saying that that makes it it's a weird fit for the Twilight Zone other than the human nature portion of it. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know. So from this point on, we get all of the different families coming over and trying <laughs> to get in. Uh, you know, they're all slowly beating on the door and everything. And uh, my favorite uh, favorite character coming over and pleading with him was Marty and his family, mm-hmm. the uh, foreigner, because <laughs> they have the baby with him and everything. And there's just a scene of him yelling, you know, you're going to have blood on your hands. Uh, and uh, I, you were a doctor, like you're supposed to let you're supposed to help people and everything. And they're just in the bomb shelter, just listening to him plead and pound on the door. And I thought it was such an effective moment for this episode. Yeah. Um, but as all of these other neighbors and everything get there, everyone starts turning on bill, obviously, cause he won't let them in and they start turning on each other. And very similar to Monsters or Duo, Maple Street with a suburban neighborhood uh, turning into a mob and showing their true colors and uh, basically turning into animals. Um, it, it's very close, but this one, like you said, has no sci-fi in mm-hmm. it. So it's like there's really nothing for this episode to hide behind because I was really concerned that this was because they introduced them as unidentified flying objects. So it was very quick knowing what we know about the history of the show and everything and past episodes. It was really easy to assume that it was going to be some sort of alien ship or something. Um, But it was it was one of those things that the twist that it turned out to be exactly what you thought it was going to be as far as like not aliens. Yeah, Um, that that was the twist for me, because what ultimately ends up happening is predictable from the start. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to backtrack a little bit. Whenever yeah, Marty's definitely. saying, uh, yeah, blood on your hands, uh, you know, uh, Bill is in his shelter with his wife and kid. And he said, that was a million years ago. Like he realizes that things have changed. And yeah, I was a doctor and I, you know, do no harm and help everybody. But now in a point to where, like you said, like only three could fit in here. And as much as he feels bad about Marty and his wife and, and you know, newborn, that yeah. was a million years ago. And, and, um, you know, credit to, uh, Larry Gates, like he is broken from that point forward and he does a really good job. Even though you said that this episode over explains everything, how people feel completely agree. Um, he, if, if he wasn't as good as what he was, you know, what he was delivering those lines, this episode would have collapsed, but you see the struggle he has the entire time. And I really, that was effective. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, from that point on, you know, I said the other neighbors come over. Frank ends up coming over with his family and uh, he's the one that kind of starts inciting that uh, the whole um, angry mob situation because he wants to just break down the door. Um, and I love when he's coming up with this idea to break down the door. There's a scene of them cutting toward to his kids yes. eating food off the table from the yeah. party. They were just at. they're just like picking over this uh, birthday cake. Right. And it's funny, but then you really think about that's really kind of what's going on is that people are like kind of picking over leftovers and it's like, it's very, it's very obvious, but the kids at the same time are kind of oblivious. They're like, Oh, there's cake. And they just keep eating it. And I thought that was kind of funny, but really kind of spoke to the episode. Yeah, so they're arguing and turning on each other and everything, and uh, I think I think it's Marty that comes up with the idea, like, maybe we can convince him to let, like, one family in, 
And uh, that's when you start getting uh, mm-hmm. people's true colors coming out. And I think it's Frank who immediately pulls the foreigner card on him and says, you know, like you people are coming over here. That's and, what uh, happens when the foreigners you know, move in. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Like real on the nose, but it's, it's, yeah, it hurts. It takes you, it catches you off guard though. Cause I think that's like the most prejudiced xenophobic thing we've seen on the show. You know, usually if they cover anything like that, it's kind of, it's it's a little bit more subtextual, but this is just like right on the nose and in your face, and it it, it actually did uh, catch me off guard. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, the, it becomes this whole thing of like arguing about like we should draw lots, who's who's considered more important than the other, and it's just this whole argument that kind of goes in a circle. And eventually they kind of come to the realization of like, if we break down the door, we can get in. But it's like if you break down the door, you're eliminating the one thing, like. You want to be safe. Yeah. Opening it up doesn't make you safe. You know, like, and yeah. I understand that, like, that's kind of the obvious thing, but they're so scared and so worried. And you talk about and the drunk. wives, you know, the wives kind of being taken to the sideline. As unfortunately as they're they're not characterized well, but they're kind of like you know yelling at their husbands, like, "What are you going to do about our kids? What's going on?" And it becomes like this like fever pitch of like, we got to get into the shelter, even if by the very nature of us getting in there means all of us die. We got to get in yeah. there. Well, and, and you know, this episode runs in almost real time because mm-hmm. they say about 15 to 30 minutes or something. So they had just left this party. Like there's no time passing in between that when they all start coming back and everything. So by having them all drunk at the party, it makes it even (laughs) more reasonable (laughs) that they're all sweaty and angry like this. Yeah. Like I couldn't even imagine dealing with this situation being drunk. Um, (laughs) I can't imagine the situation being sober, let alone. (laughs) Oh yeah, exactly. But like, imagine how much, how many worse decisions you would make if you were drunk at this time. Yeah. Um, so that terrible decision that they come to is to go get a battering ram. <laughs> yeah, they go. They, well, the whole thing is, if you remember, though, they talked about how so and so, like on the next street over, has all this pipe, and they're like, "Well, we don't want to tell him about this because what if he gets to his head that this shelter's his because it's ours? It's like it's yeah. not even yours. This isn't their street. It's <laughs> this isn't their shelter, and that that speaks more back to that. Like you know, I talked about the xenophobia between yeah. uh, Frank and Marty in this episode. Um, that's more of like. Like we can't let outsiders in to our neighborhoods and everything and that kind of fear of that. Um, but yeah, so they end up getting a battering ram and, um, well, before I guess then, um, there, there's more statements that Frank makes and Frank ends up punching Marty. Yeah, he says, no one cares what your kind thinks. And then just yeah. decks him. Yeah. And again, it's like, like really, yeah. really in your face about some of that stuff. Um, which I think is effective when you're dealing with that prejudice in this, because it's mm-hmm. something that at this time, you know, you're not seeing a lot of that sitting down and watching TV on a Friday night. Um, so I, th- I think that stuff dealt with in that fashion is a lot better than some of the emotions that are over explained. Uh, but there is a great you see Jerry from the beginning giving the toast and everything. He's the one that goes over and helps Marty up. And I think that was uh, pretty decent character building, showing that like Jerry is the calmer head throughout all of this 
Yeah, because he has a golden ticket. He knows he's going to get in eventually is what happened. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they take the pipe. And I like how they run through the house. And then they're like, but we got to knock over this table with this cake. I oh, mean, they like- trashed everything in the house. <laughs> they're just stomping on dishes. Yeah. Like, it, I, I think I saw one of the wives just, like, kick a table over at yeah. one point, like an end table, just for no reason. <laughs> yeah. So, they, 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 you know, they're just at this point where it's like, we're just going to batter, batter into this door. And, uh, and they, and they go and they do. And, 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 uh, it, it becomes like, you know, like I said, like this whole frenzied, like you, you mentioned they're like animals and like, they don't know what else to do. And this is what they're going to do. And meanwhile, uh, well, there is not to cut you off, but there is a moment where, uh, um, Bill actually tells them like, you guys need to be taking this time to do something more proactive. Yeah. Like you guys need to do something more important than trying to break down my shelter. Like is go barricade yourself in somewhere, go do something to save yourselves rather than killing us all. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's actually like, it's exactly what somebody in this position would say. Um, again, credit to Larry Gates. Yeah. Well, cause he even says earlier in the episode that, you know, had you guys not spent, what, what do you say here was the, the exact line? Yeah, spent um, your time barbecuing and, and, and card years. games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like basically if you'd been like, if you guys were like, if you were playing your video games, watching cat videos, you would have had time to build a shelter for yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, that's how we're all going out. So it's you, okay. you kids and your memes and your chat snaps and all that, you know, you could have been building a shelter. Um, so the, so they break down this door, which, um, I'm going to guess that if it's a fallout shelter shouldn't have went that easily, but it did for sake of the show. Um, and as, as the door is like broken down and you can, there's a, this like very chilling shot of from, from the family's perspective in the shelter out of the door and you see everybody else outside holding this pipe and it's like this look on their face. And then the moment that's when the radio comes back on to let everybody know that the objects that they found were satellites and basically like, this is a false alarm. And then everybody realizes that they're safe. And, but you have that, just that moment of this menace on their faces and then realizing that, Hey, everything's going to be okay. And, um, well, some of them try to unring that bell and that's where you get to like the ending here, which is, uh, again on the nose, but really effective. Yeah. But I, I, I like Frank goes immediately to Marty and he's like, Hey, like I didn't, I didn't really mean those things about you being a terrible foreigner, you know? Um, very half-assed apology. He doesn't apologize. <laughs> apologize. He's like, well, you know, you know, we're all worked up. It's what happens. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it, it's yeah. more of just an explanation for why he said them. It's not really an apology. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then he immediately turns around and tries to tell Bill, you know, we'll pay for the damages. And Bill just comes out and, again, talking about him just being, you know, just not being the same from that one point in this episode on. He just comes out with this dead look in his eye and just walks past everyone and they're all still trying to make the best out of it. You know, like, Hey, we'll just have a block party. We're going to get everything back to normal. And he's like, no, no, I don't think I know what normal is anymore. I think we're all and, broken. Uh, yeah. He's like, there, there are damages. All right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then he compares them all to animals and everything. And uh, I, I love the, I love the line he has about uh, spared. We were spared a bomb, but we were destroyed without it. I, I thought his whole monologue at the end of this episode is just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, it, it, it ties all together. And again, it's, just, it's one, it's almost, 
it's almost akin to Charlie Chaplin stopping what he's doing in The Great Dictator and turning a look at the camera and then explaining, like, this is what's going on. We're better than this. You know, and it's yeah. it's it's not yeah. the same scale, but it's in the same feeling. It's in, it's the same vein, you know. And yeah, yeah. But Sterling's closing narration, I feel, uh, is also an amazing sum up because that's the end of the episode. Uh, Bill has his monologue, and that's it. There's no resolution or anything. Like things aren't going back to the way they were. Uh, nobody's happy, and um. I, I'm just going to read Serling's closing narration just because it's really short and uh, it's it's my favorite closing narration and it's perfect for this episode. So he says, no moral, no message, no prophetic tract, just a simple statement of fact. For civilization to survive, the human race has to remain civilized. Tonight's very small exercise in logic from the Twilight Zone. Yeah, And it's just like, when that popped up, it just gives you goosebumps. Like, it, it's perfect, because it's just like, yep, this is uh, this is who we are. Uh, <laughs> humans can be ugly. Um, just remember, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, be nice. Be nice, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's very simple. Uh, but it, it's one of those things where it's like, you can easily see this happening. And like I said, there's no aliens to hide behind in this episode. There's, there's nothing to, uh, there's nothing to hide what this episode is about. Uh, this is something that people deal with every day with bomb scares at this time, you know, or the, the threat of bomb scares every day. And I can only imagine like it's chilling to watch now. This had to have been insane watching it then. And, it it was because Serling on that same interview that I was talking about said they received 1300 letters within two days of this episode airing of people freaking out about this episode, either uh, upset, <laughs> terrified, or I, I could see some people loving it as well. So, so well, check um, this out. This really yeah. struck a nerve. <laughs> um, this was supposed to air in November, right? So we, we found it aired in September. It was pushed ahead because the current news at the time was dealing with civil defense. Uh, one week after this episode aired, President Kennedy advised families to build bomb shelters. Think about that. Like, that, like, like, you know, I guess good on the Twilight Zone CBS to be like, hey, we have an episode that's dealing with the current time. But to have this like morality play and then to have the president of the United States the next week saying, hey, it'd be a good idea if you all built shelters and maybe not had barbecues and card games, you know, like that's I, I, I can say it. I can believe it. I can't understand it. That would be like, um, I don't know. It would be like an episode of Black Mirror. And then the next week, everyone's like, oh, by the way, it's real. Like what? Like I can't under, like it would be it would, it would like, you know. <laughs> would freak me out and i don't think i'd be able to deal with it and this was like so this trump's was, daughter was uh kidnapped and he is uh <laughs> he's gonna yeah. have to do something on tv yeah um you know but yeah, yeah it's 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 so topical for this time and it, unfortunately it still rings true to this day um and it, it's just i i love this episode i the only thing i can say is that some of the dialogue is very on the nose but Everything else from uh, cinematography, from the uh, kind of lack of score, because there's really not much music in this or yeah. noticeable music, um, to the performances and everything. It, it was just firing on all cylinders. And I, uh, this is this is my favorite so far in season three. 
Well, good. I mean, we've had three, so I would imagine there has to be, you know, top yeah. and bottom, right? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I can see this holding on uh, for quite a while Yeah, uh, on, during this season because it's just I, – I feel like there's so much going on here. Well, I um, believe that the, that Bill's son would grow up to be Charles Bronson in the episode two. That's my belief. Uh, that <laughs> that's the world he <laughs> Yeah. And what you don't see in the corner of the shelter is two jars of peaches. Is what you don't, that's what you don't see. Um, yes, jars of peaches only. <laughs> um, so, all right. Uh, other, other knowledge about this episode. Supposedly, James Coburn is the voice on the radio. That's kind of cool. <laughs> um, so the radio itself, what you, it was called Conorad. Was actually, and that's a real thing. It stood for control of electromagnetic radiation. It was a precursor to the emergency broadcast system, which you and I both grew up with. And we'd hear that, you know, this is only a test. And you hear that tone, right? That yeah. was eventually replaced by the EAS, which has that weird, you know, that, that blarring, you know, pattern that happens now on the radio and, and everything else. So this was two steps removed from what we have now. And it was this whole thing where it was, um, uh, basically what, what happened in the episode where a certain number of radio stations would say, tune, tune into the station and the rest of them would pretty much go silent while news was being dispersed. Um, and that makes sense. It's just, I remember growing up with, uh, with the emergency broadcast system, knowing that we've refined it over time, but it'd still be terrifying to get an EAS alert, just driving your car and to hear something like this, you know? And yeah, yeah I, I thought that was, uh, it was it was time specific and tech specific, so that's cool. Um, the location where this was shot, uh, the exteriors were the same ones in Elegy and walking distance, so they weren't too far away from the Monsters of Maple Street. Just you know, just another street that we've seen before. I was yeah. really really hoping it was it was Maple Street. That would have been amazing if that was the same set. Yeah, I I assume because I I couldn't find anywhere that it was, so I assumed that it wasn't. But it looks just like it. Yeah. Um. So the director Lamont Johnson, here's what he had to say about the episode. It's going to be funny considering how much you enjoyed this. Uh, he said that was Rod in one of his messianic moods. It was too uptight with its own self righteousness. I think I found an interesting idea. I think the thesis was excellent, but I think its devices and its general style of writing were a little too pompous. That's the director of the episode saying this about the episode. <laughs> um, I kind of respect that, that he kind of called, yeah. he kind of called Sterling out a little bit on like, you know what? It's a little too high and mighty, but it's an interesting idea. And I think that's kind of where it should land is like, it's a good story. It's, it's a good mirror to hold up to, you know, humanity, but it is a little high on itself. That's kind of how, you know, yeah. I, I agree with that. I'll agree with it, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I get, I can definitely see where he's coming from with it. I'm yeah. not going to say, but I think the idea and the way it's carried out, um, were so strong that I can forgive it for any of those issues. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, do you have any other notes, uh, regarding no, this? I'll, yeah. I'll just kind of recap when we do the, uh, twist here. All right. See if I have anything else. Let's get to the twist. I gave it a two just for the notion that the people will be monsters to each other. It's a theme we've seen on the show before, so that doesn't surprise me. Uh, does that change the impact of the episode whatsoever? No. Um, the fact that people are terrible to each other. It's something we see in the Twilight Zone. It's something that Stephen King has picked up and run with at every one of his books. That like, look at the mist. That's it's like uh, that turned out to be a real threat, but it was scarier inside the supermarket than it was outside. 
And this is kind of the same thing of like, maybe do you really know your neighbor? You know that then. So again, not the biggest twist, but still a hell of an episode. Yeah. And I mean, the real, the big twist that they had in this was that they weren't actually bombs coming, you know, and, but you can see that coming from a million miles away. And for something that we've seen, uh, specifically in the episode, I keep bringing up monsters to do on maple street. It's a good bookend. Um, it's a really good companion piece to this. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, seeing, you know, how many episodes have we seen where he takes themes that, uh, and just kind of recycles them throughout the series. And it's like, ah, this one's just kind of like that, you know, but not as good. Um, I think this one is just as good deals with the same themes, um, just from like a different perspective. And I, I don't think that it hinders the episode at all. So that was nice. Um, yeah, I, I I just don't know. I was trying to think of what I was going to rate this twist because, like I said, I I could predict where it was going. It was just such a good journey and everything, and such yeah. good performances that, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I guess I'll just do like two on the twist. <laughs> <laughs> but I love this episode. Yeah, I I had a great time watching it. Um, like I said, uh, every once in a while the show gets under my skin, and that that transition between the party. And the alert on the radio, which is something that I, I think everyone has a moment of their life when, you know, you're having a good time and something goes wrong. You know, yeah. and it's it, it, it just any day can turn into that. And it's it's something that's that's always going to ring true. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's, it was one of those things where I enjoyed the journey of this episode so much. Um, and the performance is that it's, it's one of my favorites. So speaking of days that were good, that took a turn, I just, you made me think of this. So, uh, my younger brother was in, uh, was a kindergarten or first grade at the time. And my mom decided to keep him out of school that day so they could watch the challenger launch on TV. Like, think about <laughs> that. Like, like that's yeah. a, <laughs> like, she's like, like it's okay. We'll watch we'll awesome watch. day off of school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, uh, Oh man. Yeah. I'm sure there's gotta be tons of kids that had that same experience. Yeah. I mean, I was in like third or fourth grade and we watched it on the TV and, uh, yeah, that's not exactly what they thought was going to happen, you know? So, um, yeah, <laughs> like this, just like you have all, like you're just mentioning you're in science classes, making having fun. Then you find out that like something really severe is going on, you know? Yeah. So probably in paper, uh, footballs across the room, you know, <laughs> passing notes, Probably thinking about what I'm going to do after I get out of school, skateboard home, and then all of a sudden, you know, the world's changed. Yeah. And it's just, it's something that's out of your control and it's terrifying. And yeah. I, it's good on, uh, Serling and, uh, Lamont Johnson for being able to portray that in a 25 minute episode. And, and to do it in 1961, yeah. you know, As I say right in the middle of it, right. They have like, yeah, they, like, like probably in the scariest time of that thought. Um, well, yeah, because so, we found out the, the Cuban Missile Crisis was going to happen later, right? Because we, we clearly got that history wrong before. Um, yeah. Like the, we, <laughs> like, the scarier times hadn't even happened yet. Like, we were in the buildup to the scariest times. And, yeah. like, credit to them. Major, you know, primetime television show basically saying, you should feel bad and maybe you should work to be better, to be a better person. I don't, I don't know of anything else. I mean, that, that's a ballsy move. Yeah, he hits on so many things. Like I said, it's not even about just like uh, just not becoming an animal when <laughs> shit hits the fan. Excuse my language, uh, but like it, it it covers prejudice and xenophobia and all that kind of stuff on primetime TV on a Friday night on CBS. Yeah, you know, in 1961, 
Like it's it's I think this is a important piece of TV. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, good episode. Um, not um, not a feel good episode. Good episode. No, but of course I loved it, right? <laughs> um, it's always the most depressing ones. I'm like, hey, this is my favorite. It made more sense than last week, so I'm down with it. So that's uh, I'm perfectly good with this. So, all right, uh, how can people find us, Kevin? Uh, we're available on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube now. So go check out those platforms if you want to keep in touch with us. Uh, more info on the YouTube to come. And the YouTubes. I sound so old right now. Uh, you can subscribe to us and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Podbean, Satchel, pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. We are there. And like I said, if you could review us on there, it would really help us out. Get the show to some new people. Check it out. And yeah, uh, we're, we're also available in Conrad. It doesn't really happen that much anymore, but we might be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when your TV goes blank, just uh, <laughs> yeah, flip the radio on. We'll be there. Yeah. So next week. And before I tell you about next week's episode, I need to break in here on myself because we forgot to mention the important stuff. We were on the Talk Without Rhythm podcast this uh, previous week talking about some Lee Van Cleef films. We were looking at 1967's Day of Anger and 1969's Sabata. Kevin and I are both on there. Uh, had a great talk with El Goro. A lot of fun. If you guys want to hear us talk about that, please, please, please go to the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. And now, what are we watching next week? Uh, we have The Passersby. Uh, which I had written that down wrong several times, so I want to make sure I said that correctly. Uh, this also deals with conflict, so I'll read what Sterling has to say here. Next week, we move back to April 1865, the aftermath of the Civil War, at a strange, dusty road that leads to a most unbelievable adventure. On our show next week, The Passersby. This one is for the Civil War buffs, the mystics among you, or any and all who would want a brief vacation into the Twilight Zone. There you go. Passersby Civil War episode. Yeah. So I thought I thought I had seen this one this week. Uh, it turns out I had not. I definitely know I've seen next week's episode. So yeah, um, yeah it'll I'll, be fun to revisit it. I'll, I'll tip my hand by saying that when we first started talking about doing Strange Highways as a show, this is actually one of the four or five I watched for inspiration. So it wasn't my first time watching it, but it was good to get back to it. So uh, some interesting, I cannot wait to talk about it because there's some uh, interesting conflicting trivia about the episode. So we're going to front sell that. So the next week, the passersby. And, you know, as we talk about history not changing, this is talking about Civil War. I'm glad that's all been settled and no one talks about that anymore. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we're not on the verge of one right now. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, until next week, have a safe week. Um, you know, if you have a shelter, I mean, don't, don't let anybody in, I guess, but if you have a shelter, just make sure you have like a good, strong internet connection. Uh, because if I had a shelter, that's all I'd really, really want that. And maybe some water. Cause I feel like if I didn't have internet, I would not want to survive after the apocalypse anyway. Yeah, it's just so yeah, and if you go out this weekend and uh you're thinking about going to some barbecues, you know, just having some good old American fun, just remember that you're a terrible person and you probably <laughs> should have been doing something to save some lives. <laughs> I don't know. 
I don't know what normal is. I thought I did once. I don't anymore. I told you we'd pay for the damages, Bill. We... Damages? I wonder. I wonder if any one of us has any idea what those damages really are. Maybe one of them is finding out what we're really like when we're normal. The kind of people we are, just underneath the skin. I mean all of us. A lot of naked, wild animals who put such a price on staying alive that they'll claw their neighbors to death just for the privilege. We were spared a bomb tonight, but I wonder. I wonder if we weren't destroyed even without it. <laughs> 